So I recently spent some time with family, as we, we mentioned uh, in a recent note to our backers. We had to take some time off in January. Um, Caleb had to go back to St. Louis for a funeral, and then I had to go back to Baldwin City, Kansas for a funeral, um, which is a quaint small town that we'll talk about later in this episode. But I want to cheers to my uncle. So I walked into my uncle and aunt's house the day before the services. I would be sleeping in their basement. And of course, I brought not just some beer, but a box of beers with me, one of which was a favorite of mine, Cucumber Crush from Ten Barrel Brewing. And my uncle, who is wont to drink Michelob Ultra, looked at that box of beer and gave me a look. Um, and I said, hey, no big deal. You don't have to drink any. So we had a, a pleasant afternoon and into the evening, I looked over and lo and behold, there was my uncle holding a cucumber crush can. And I thought, whoa, I am about to hear it. No, he seemed to finish the can and we didn't talk any more of it. So the next day we get home from the services and I let the family know, hey, I'm going to run up the street, grab some more beer. We, we drank all of it last night. And as I'm walking out the door, my uncle, without saying much, walks over, taps me on the arm, looks around as if to ensure that no one is paying attention, and then quietly utters to me, hey, if they have any more of that cucumber beer, bring some back. And then just walks <laughs> off like he'd done a drug deal. <laughs> so anyways, um. cheers to my uncle and new horizons. <laughs> cheers. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix 6 where we drink six beers, have six conversations, rate them on a five-point scale, and are carried, occasionally buried alive by snow. Just buried alive. Here we are. Deep in a mound of cultural atomization and doing mm. the show over Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we are. Uh, it is no pre-party. I can't escape my home. So... Oh. <laughs> uh, Tomorrow is going to be difficult because producer Ross is getting married. Yeah, um, married tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So hey. I'm saving my energy to uh, heroically dig myself out of my house mm-hmm. uh, like a ski jumper in an avalanche. Yep. Um, and that's it. We're not going anywhere. It's challenging enough to be, but we do have Noah here. So that's hi. Cool. We got that guy for us. Yeah, originally Noah, Noah was going to be here in person, but then I was, right, I was going to be there in person, and yeah. then snow and ice and everything happened you, between me and you. So, yeah, you were going to be staying in this very room where I am now drinking alone by myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You're not alone. You're uh-huh. with us, Caleb. You're you're right. Uh, I am with you. We're all here together. Yeah. Now I will have to make it up though because I do have one of Ross's wedding gifts right here. Fuck off. Oh that. yes. Oh, fuck oh, you. Shit. Oh. And if you can see right there, it's been signed by Kane. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. Then I can't, can't open it. it. Exactly. Thank- yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh man. I can't. I can't have to oh, deal with that. I, I'm right, I'll give you my open one then. God damn it. No. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually going to say, like, I would definitely want to play Battle for the Belt uh-huh. and the Battle Boulder at the reception. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that it's good we don't have that temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, Spencer, you made our rating system this time, so you got you to gotta let us know what a one through five is. 
I absolutely will. Before we get into the rating system, I want to give Noah an opportunity to tell the wonderful listeners of this podcast how they might fight him on other podcasts. Noah? Hey, so I'm Noah, um, and I do a podcast called Thinking Too Hard About Anime with my friend Aaron J. Shelton, um, where we either we either cover a series episode by episode, or more recently, we've been covering a particular like director uh, and their works. So our first season, we did Cowboy Bebop, episode by episode, which is a very good list. I highly recommend it. Um, Second season, we did the work live action remake. Did the whole sorry, (laughs) we did do an episode about the live action remake fairly recently. We also did a second episode that we're we're trying to decide if we're going to release the second episode because we feel like it might be a little too mean, but (laughs) and that's you know, that's not the vibe we're going for, yeah. Anyway, the second one's about Hideaki Anno, and the second season's about Hideaki Anno, all of his works (laughs) aside from Neon Genesis Evangelion, which we think is going to be. It's O's season by itself because there's so much to talk about there. Yeah, and then uh, we've actually just started recording our third season about the works of Satoshi Kon, uh, director oh. of uh, one of many one of fine my works, favorites. such mm-hmm. as Paprika, a, a, a well-regarded <laughs> film around these parts. Mm-hmm. I can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Technically, a, a movie. Yep. A uh, a Ross recommend that went over about as well as the Death Stranding recommend would have. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we're also uh, talking about like all of his manga that he's done. So we're we're doing a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, so yeah, so that you should actually. I'm not sure when this is going out, but that's starting very soon. So yeah, uh, go look for that wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Go find Noah. And thinking too hard about anime. And with that, we'll talk about our rating system. So as I mentioned in the cheers, I recently visited some family, many family members I'd not seen mm-hmm. for years or talked to for years. And oh. a number of them, I mean. I know where this is going. Yeah. So distant, in fact, that a number of them did not know that I had a podcast. Some of them kind of unfamiliar with what podcasts were generally. Um, <laughs> But did not know that I had a podcast, let alone were shocked to learn that we'd been doing this podcast for a little more than five years. And I ended up in a couple of the conversations that you end up in, and I'm sure all of us have been there, when you Uh tell someone who doesn't know Mm -hmm. that you're on a podcast. And it got me thinking about the the worst to best responses people have when they learn I run and am on a a beer-related podcast. And so today we'll be reviewing our beers on a scale that starts from the worst stuff people say to you to the best stuff people say to you when they find out you're on a beer-related podcast. So a one, in this case, a beer that you absolutely don't want to have, or a conversation that you don't want to get into when someone finds out you're on a beer-related podcast, is how do I get on your podcast? (laughs) Very bad, yeah. That's like... The worst thing to ask me and only be and whatever, like I get it. Um, but the reason it's not fun to have that conversation is a no. Um, B, I have to explain to them that like we're not in a fucking recording studio. Like we're not, we're at, we're in. Well, today we're on Zoom, but we're sitting <laughs> at a kitchen table in southwest Springfield, Missouri. Like um, there's nothing there's nothing doing here. And then you get the inevitable. Hey, how do I get an invite to your friend's basement? Right, right. Hey. And it's like, well, can I <laughs> give come me them watch? deets? Implying <laughs> I like, have a basement. What am I, some <laughs> right. What do you mean, watch? Like, do you want to sit on the couch over there while we talk? Yeah, no. in front of a live studio audience. Yeah. yeah. No, like you mystery can't do that. hour. We're, we're busy that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the worst thing 
I get asked when I tell people I'm on a on a, a beer related podcast. How I have a very podcast. canned response to that one: is you don't want to do that. <laughs> no, trust me, don't. <laughs> you don't. Um, mm, yeah. You don't want to. No do that. one's asked me that except for like you know other like people hawking their RPGs or whatever. But, right. Yeah. Like, and I get wanting to come on here for promotional purposes, yeah. and we've certainly had some of that. And I kind of take that stuff and put it in a box and go, okay, um, trade up, trade down. I get it. But no, just like, hey, that'd be fun. No, it wouldn't. Um, <laughs> okay, a two. Like, still bad, but I get it. Like, it's more gettable. Mm-hmm. And when you tell people that you've had over a thousand beers, and then they say something like, "Well, have you ever tried? I don't know, Shiner?" Okay. Uh, first off, I rarely remember the beers that we've tried. I am not Caleb. I, I do not have whatever that is. Secondly. Yeah, this one's higher for me. It's right. okay. Yeah. If I tell someone that I've had over a thousand beers, it, it, it's never an interesting or a weird thing that people ask about. It's like, have you ever tried Negra Modelo? Like, it's always just it's, like the most normal beer. It's, it's depressingly basic. That's why it's a yeah. three for me, because like I can recall, and occasionally I will get a weird outlier, like my accountant knew about Side Project, and we had a Side Project talk the other day, and I was like, yeah, that was great. That was lovely. Um, yeah. But most of the time, it's just like, oh, craft beer, like Blue Moon. Yep. Right. And, right. <laughs> like very um, Spencer's uncle energy. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you go out yeah. and get me that good... Line and Lugal Lemon Shandy. Right. Yeah, like... It's like uh, the one beer they drink that they couldn't find at a gas station. They yes. think that it's like a weird beer and they want to know if I too have not found it at a gas station. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So a three, and this is the one, it's a three because I expect it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the one that you see coming from a mile away and it's not a bad conversation to have because you do get to talk about it. It's what's the best beer you've ever had. And it's like, that's at least like you expect it. And, and we've done enough conversations about this stuff that I can, I have an answer to that question. Yeah. And I get excited to talk about like side project and Mr. Mm-hmm. Brown from tool. Like there's something there. Now we've talked about it so much that I don't want to talk about it anymore, but I can't. <laughs> and it's more interesting. Yeah, yeah. How do I get on your podcast? Okay. So now let's get into the good stuff. The four and the five, these are things that you actively enjoy talking about when someone asks you a question about being on a beer podcast. A four is, oh, that's interesting. How did you get into that? Because when you answer this question, you get to watch someone's face as they come to the realization that there is nothing novel or interesting here, but rather that Caleb and I were getting drunk in the backyard at Mother's Brewing Company. And Caleb was like, man, we we drink a lot of beer. We should do a podcast about beer. And I was like, we should definitely do a podcast about beer. And like, we could talk about different stuff. And Caleb was like, yeah, I mean, like, I bet Ross would want to record it with us. And we were like, well, let's see if Ross wants to record it. And then we went to Ross's house and recorded it. (laughs) Podcast, I have a theory. Podcast Mm -hmm. origin stories are like tech bro origin stories pretend to be. So like the actual Mm -hmm. tech bro origin story Mm -hmm. is dad was a millionaire and he gave me $10 million. But it will be posed as like two dudes a garage, a yes. dream. But yeah. podcast origins are just like two dudes, a garage, a dream. They never really made yeah. it to Spotify. They, right. they did it for like a year and a half and like, then they quit. <laughs> like, like that's almost exactly what happened with me and Aaron when we started thinking to her about anime. He's like, we knew each other vaguely through some other friends and he was like, hey, you like anime. Do you want to start a show where we talk about anime? And I was like, yeah. 
I'd love to talk it, about anime. It is sort oh. of wonderfully anticlimactic, though. It's not very. It's not a much of a struggle to communicate. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah. and there's still enough people for for whom podcasting is kind of like an odd medium, especially people of a certain age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to when you tell them what you're doing, I think they still think in their minds that this is like the next generation of te- like studio television productions. Now, do you ever fuck and, with it? it? Was like, well, first I went to university. Uh, I, oh, and I got no. my first degree. <laughs> That's what I'm going to start podcast doing. My love of um, rhetoric was really <laughs> set me on the path to podcasting. Yeah. President mm-hmm. Obama called Obama. You've heard of him. Yeah. And he said, um, <laughs> he's a podcast. Yeah. 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 Right. Big podcast. Big podcast. Big guy. Loves beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So a five. And this is, this is the question you want to answer. Like, mm-hmm. this is the one where the expectation of people's reactions and your ability to meet those expectations combine mm-hmm. synergy. We call it in the business. What's the worst or weirdest beer you've had? That's the question you want to answer. It's sort of a shame that it is the best content for the show, but it's also like the best content for dinner parties. Like, Mm -hmm. it's what they want to hear, and therefore that's what you want to say. Yes. And, uh, but in, you got to buy that experience by drinking the ambergris or the fucking perfume or the, yeah, whatever leaky reef meadery is trying to do to the public like yeah (laughs) and here's the bit you always start with the ambergris after you've consumed a beer that was partially brewed with whale expellent you gotta lead that's the beer you gotta lead with the ambergris um everything after that is uh one time i like one time i almost threw up on the microphone and i watched caleb spit a beer out and throw it across ross's room like that (laughs) that, that's kind of the order of evolution there and that's the question you want to answer when people find out that you're on a beer podcast so we'll use those five questions ranked from one to five to rate and review our beers today and with that i am going to grab a beer and we'll be right back to talk dissecting our fun Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is from Boulevard Brewing Company. And Boulevard put out, they, they did a smart thing. So as you know, Boulevard has really opened up their um, kind of like suite of offerings and their distribution. And so they're doing like a brewer's box now functionally that is like six brewer's choice beers because they've really experimented with like different bombers or large bottle releases. But they've had a problem distributing those, I think. So now they're doing them in smaller bottles and distributing them as six packs with like specialty brews one per six pack or whatever. So this is from the Brewer's Choice 2021 barrel aged imperial stout and barley wine ale. So it both. Um huh. and it, an imperial barley wine? Imperial stout and barley wine ale 14.2%. Yeah. That sounds okay. right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Good way to start the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, 12.49 on a Friday. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So anyways, I'm going to give it a I go. see why you were drinking a LaCroix before. Hey, yeah. it's uh-huh. it's one forty nine here. Well, so. at least it's a, it's a normal bottle. It's not like a bomber or anything. He's not. <laughs> Pretty long pull there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I wanted to make well, sure. Well, if you're going to go. Out. Yeah, if you're going to go. Out. Um, okay. So uh, really viscous but smooth, which I appreciate. It... it um, a lot of times those like more viscous beers um, can taste flat. It mm-hmm. does not. So I really enjoy the texture of that beer. It does hit a little on the back end. Caleb, we've talked about this more recently on the podcast that 
maybe it's just from volume at this point, but things that have that almost sweet, like bourbon barrel aged aftertaste can are starting to get a bit like annoying to me. Like everything kind of ends up tasting the exact cloying way on the back end. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a very three experience. Which colors your flavor of the beer is like, well, it's, it's a stout meaning that it is bourbon barrel aged because that's what everyone has to do now. (laughs) It's heading in that direction. I will tell you this, the, I think it's the barley wine cuts some of that a little bit and makes it a little more like almost a three philosophers floral in the middle. And so it doesn't feel like some of those like barrel aged things. It's like, um, dark chocolate and tobacco, dark chocolate, tobacco, Mm -hmm. dark chocolate, tobacco, sweet. And this is a little more like dark chocolate, tobacco and floral. So when you Mm -hmm. get to the sweet on the back end, kind of that barrel aged kicker, Mm -hmm. it's not as jarring. Mm -hmm. Um, this is probably a four, and admittedly, I'm drinking it from the bottle. I think we're to sit in like the proper glassware, open up a little bit, and maybe maybe come up to room temperature. It actually might be a rather nice beer to have. We don't do that here. We don't. No, we, we don't, don't do that here. We don't. It's a miracle. I'm not also shoving cooking. peanut butter cookies yeah. in my fucking mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I'm gonna put a four in the dock, and mm-hmm. with that, we're on to dissecting our fun. I'm really. I think I have another one of these. Next time we get together, I'll bring it over because I'd love to get you guys to try yeah. it. So, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, next time I can get out of my house, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. Dissecting our fun. So I've been wanting to talk about this game for a few weeks now, and it's a game that I've almost purchased for years. And finally, I kind of bit the bullet. I was at Meta Games a few weeks ago, and I thought, yeah, fuck it, here we are. Um, so I finally bought Istanbul. Mm-hmm. which consistently shows up on top 10 lists for lots and lots and lots of game reviewers. And in fact, I had it in my hands to buy when Sarah and I were standing in line at Gen Con to buy Point Salad a few years ago. It's an AEG distro too. And I thought, yeah, I'm just not going to do it right now because it's Gen Con and Lord knows what kind of weird shit I'm going to find. Uh, so I put it down and that was 2019. And then I, I revisited it a number of times, almost wrote her name. And finally, I just fucking bit the bullet and I bought it. And I was always curious why people liked Istanbul so much and why it continued to be, for what it seems like, reviewed as a a fairly thinky, heavier weight game. So we finally got it to the table, played it twice now, I think. And uh, I won't get too into the nitty gritty on like all of the different mechanics. I don't really want to do a thorough review of Istanbul. Rather, I want to talk specifically about the movement mechanic. And mm-hmm. I want us to have a conversation about why movement mechanics are so challenging. Maybe mm-hmm. they're just challenging for me, but I know that we've talked about like five tribes in the past and that seemed to really trip you up, Cleb. So I'm, I want to dig into movement mechanics a little bit. Let me give you a high level overview of Istanbul. In Istanbul, you are trying to move a group of traders that belong to you around a marketplace. And the marketplace is set up as a tile set of cards and each card is a different location in the marketplace and will allow you to take a different action. And there's, you know, like an untold number of cards and an untold number of actions. And especially in your first couple of playthroughs, there's iconography on the cards, but with all games of a certain weight, you're just referencing a rule book for like yeah, an hour the and a half going. Glossary double yeah. page. Yeah. I guess yeah. So. What does that fucking mean? You know? And so, so uh, that, that does not diminish to me the quality of Istanbul. I think that's the, the truth with all games of a certain weight and, and mm-hmm. especially icon driven games. But, you start with uh, kind of like your head trader, uh, which is a larger disc, and then you get smaller discs that go under that trader. And as you move from tile to tile, and you can only move tiles or, uh, or orthogonally adjacent to you, can't move diagonally, mm-hmm. as you move tiles, you can go to any number of tiles that you want. 
But your movement is limited by the number of smaller discs or apprentices that you have available to you. And as oh, you one of those Mancala's yeah. drop behind, yeah. Yeah, you're going to leave an apprentice behind. And wherever yeah, you're you building a supply up, line, yeah. Yeah, you can move one or two spaces, but wherever you end up, you're going to leave an apprentice there functionally on that first space or that second space that you end up. Then you cannot legally take a turn if you do not have a disc available to you. So not only do you have to think critically about where you want to end up when you move, but you also have to think critically about how can I recover a disc or keep enough discs on me to go where I want to go next. So on your turn, you can move one or two spaces and leave an apprentice disc there. On your turn, you can move back onto one of your apprentice discs and collect them. Now they're back in your flock and you have them available as functionally a movement token. But if you ever run out of apprentice discs, you cannot take a turn and you have to go through kind of like a set of steps that will allow you to recollect your apprentice discs. And there are some spaces on the board that allow you to collect all of your apprentices back at once so that you have your full stable of movement available to, to you again. So yes, it is resource management. Yes, it is an engine builder. Yes, you're trying to score the most points by ending up at locations in the tableau that would allow you to score points or you know gain money or rubies or whatever the jewels are. But really, it is a game about planned and limited movement. I mean, aggressively planned and limited movement that you need to be thinking three or four moves ahead on. So I'm curious, you know, we talked about it with five tribes. We talked about it a little bit with Tawanitsuyu, like all of the fucking rigmarole around which directions you can't move and can move. I think Heaven and Ale would probably qualify for what you're well, talking about. Heaven and about. Ale is like such a good, yeah, such a good, you know. Extremely restrictive movement mechanic. Extremely, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Heaven takes a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. Well, look, chat. I think all of these are in the Euro vein, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's multiple ways to do this. And what a lot of more heavy Euros will do is that um, the it's about exchange rates. Everything's about trading and exchange rates for resources between this, that, and the other using powers and whatnot. Yeah. How do you express difficult and complicated exchange rates? Well, you make them in combinations, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, hmm. but then when they get full Euro and go full economic simulation, they're like, okay, well, how do I represent the opportunity costs of doing this and not something else beyond just the turn? How do I express it in terms of, um, exertion in terms of other things? And uh, there's right. multiple schools and ways they do that. Now there's the Tomonata Suya, uh, sure. method that we talked about, um, which is you just penalty tax everything a person does Literally. i think architects of the west kingdom also does this i think oh, if you're not yeah, planning your synergies right and you don't know what you're doing in heaven and ale it will do this oh you can waste an entire an entire round in heaven and ale i would say that's the absolute worst way to do it because yeah. uh here's what here's me in one of those games oh okay i'm gonna spend two corn one silver and three rubies this turn in yeah. order to get three corn zero silver and a chance to trade at the ruby option during the next turn never mind it's the rain phase corn costs are double i'm passing this turn that's what happens every fucking time you Absolutely. play those games they get too complex you got to manage too many different things and uh it's very hard to do i do think a better way to do that is you express the taxation of doing things by having this sort of leave behind movement mechanic. So you have 
the fact mm. that the monks need to be next to each other to trigger, but they can't be too close in heaven and nail. You've got the uh, Mancala mechanic for five tribes moving people right. around the board. Um, and you've got this. Um, I haven't had a chance to play it, get it to a table yet because we can never leave our homes. But uh, Hansa Teutonica kind of has these oh, more difficult, yeah. blocky Love. Euro game mechanics. So I think if you want to do that, I think if you want a thin profit margin in your Euro, which a lot of them yeah. do, and you want to do that by taxing sort of worker actions. I think yeah. doing it as an expression of movement and having that sort of visual space is way better than just making it the same drain on the same currencies. Um, and uh, because I always lose track of that. I always think the movement one is a little bit more elegant. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I'd not because but like, but the option right. that's what it is. the other option is don't do this and right. just make the exchange rates not simulationists of any actual economy, just make them fun and challenging yeah. and tactical. Um, and I think that's really the way to do it because uh, it doesn't fucking matter that it doesn't make sense that I can use a fish to feed my Vikings or lay down a bunch of blocks right. in fucking Feast of Odin. I don't care. That was a good block I laid down with that fish, and now I'm getting a bonus. <laughs> Like, I don't give a shit about the theme past that point. Right. And that's why that's a great game in the Euro vein, um, in my opinion. But uh, if you got to do this, do it in the movement way would be my talk. Yeah. You know, that is interesting. I, I found it at the time difficult but interesting. You know, like I, it was frustrating, but not in a bad way. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, um, like sometimes, and Caleb, I think you framed it up really well. You should talk about board games for a living. I think you framed it up nicely. <laughs> like, um, uh, a lot of times with your games, really the, the math you're stuck in is like, can I trade two X for four Y? You know what I mean? And like I, X and Y be damned. Um, this was not a game where I was worried about exchange. This was a game where I was worried about, yeah, but in three turns, can I end up over there and be able to take a fourth turn after that? And so I guess it just changes the math you're doing, but, but the, the net effect is the same, which is like, can you, or can you not end up where you want to go or do what you want to do based on trading something for something in this case, movement for limit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think maybe that's, I'd not articulated it well or thought about it like that, but I think that's one of the reasons I liked it. And I do want to get it to the table the next time we do a board game night. Cause I do think you'd find it interesting. Um, so I'll set it up. It's also going to be like probably a good 45 minute setup, which again, Oof. I, I will, like, I am recommending Istanbul. If you like mm -hmm. games of a certain weight, Istanbul seems to be a very good game. And they give you kind of a beginner setup for the market tableau. And then there are some increasingly difficult tableau setups that they give you, which put things that could be more useful farther apart in the tableau, which would really have you program your movement. Um, but we could start with the beginner board. I will recommend it, but I'm curious for others who have played it or if you plan to play it. Uh, what your thoughts were on the movement mechanic, um, because I find it fascinating. No, I know that, you know, you don't spend as much time in board games per se mm -hmm. as compared to maybe RPG, RPGs. Um, ha has movement ever been like a big, like shiny object to you when you're thinking about or playing a board game? Like, I really like this movement mechanic. Mm -hmm. Well, in war games. I, in, in like war games and yeah, RPGs, like maybe um, board games, not particularly, just because. I'm not as well versed in that space as y'all y'all right. are. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that like I really look for. A lot of times, in my experience with board games, it's like, "Hey, do you want to play this board game? 
and like they'll explain like the basic concept and like mm. it's yes or no based off like that concept. Yeah. Getting into the nitty gritty, like y'all are, that hasn't. I don't spend a lot enough time in that space to really kind of get that, um, like vocabulary or taste mm. for yeah, yeah. for that kind of stuff. Um, when it comes to like RPGs, not particularly just because a lot of the RPGs I play tend to be like theater of the theater of the mind, so it's all just sure. like. You you imagine the stuff. There's not a lot of stuff on. Yeah, the movement table. mechanics are very uh, rare unless you're doing like Iron Heroes esque D and D. Yeah, spaces, which is basically a war there's, game again. Uh, and then um, there's some there's, in like Savage Worlds, which is a system I play fairly often. But the weird then, sort of like nebulous rooms of turf in Blades yeah. of the Dark. It's just like, yeah. oh no. We can't improve our um, cult fanaticism. It that's two hexes south. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. First, we have to take over this cannery because the book says so. Yeah, um, uh, and and when it comes to like war games and stuff like that, again, it's not. It's it's much more direct in that like you get this many inches of movement mm-hmm. for like your particular types of units and that kind right. of stuff. It's not right as like. And then dice spot uh, fucks you anyway. So and then the dice spot fucks, dice spot yeah. fucks you anyway. Um, <laughs> there he is. Yep. Uh, so yeah. So I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm coming at. I'm sure if I had spent much more time in that that sort of space, I'd I'd have more input for this discussion. Right. But well, when uh, we recruit you to Springfield and you're here full time, you can do that. Okay, okay. and it's settled. Um, so that's a recommendation for Instable, not Constantinople. Hey. <laughs> yeah, correct. Hey, that game. I just don't think it's going to make it. Um, Okay. And with that, uh, we're going to grab more beer and we'll be right back. Caleb, you, uh, you got a real nice beer there. It looks like. Uh, Well, I hope so. It's from perennial artist nails. This is the Hummel beer. A Belgian style pale ale. So, yeah, I mean, perennial does good shit. Um, even the stuff they do that I don't care for, like in terms of style, I typically think like, well, this seems to be a good version of that style, even though I do not want. Um, Ooh, I like it. I like it quite a bit. Um, very hoppy flavor. Um, strong citrus hop aroma. Um, but not so bitter you want to die. Very kind of subdued in the pale ale taste. So that's a four for me. That's drinkable. Yeah, I'd have another one of those. Uh, it's still a pale ale, but it's not a bad one, which is pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, it's not zombie dust, but well, yeah, what has to be besides zombie dust? So, man, um, you know, total aside, but the, the, the now like, Fairly wide and broad distribution of zombie dust in cans is just flooring to me. And <laughs> like my sister can just go to a like fucking gas station and buy zombie dust now. And I I wonder if um well, I don't know. Do you guys think that if we saw zombie dust regularly, it would still be zombie dust? You know what I mean? Like is the scarcity been part of the Yeah, opinion? probably not. Probably not. Um yeah. I would have a real bad week once I discovered that distribution loophole in that it's actually provided because i would oh, get yeah. very drunk oh my god to the point of distraction oh my god. um but uh once i once i normalized it again yeah i'd probably just another beer but yeah thus is the nature of beer uh what are we talking about 
Well, so when I checked the survey the first time to build the episode, Jukebox in the Back was the number one vote getter. When I checked the survey again, it was no longer the number one vote getter. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to say... I'm not certifying the second election, so you're actually good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. I'm not a coward, and I support my podcast leader. (laughs) Consider, yeah, consider this uh, uh, the the Georgian electoral Georgia. Yeah, that's what we are. Stop the podcast deal. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, So this was, you know, according to some results, your number one vote getter. Jukebox in the back. Um, So in case we've not mentioned it enough, Ross is getting married tomorrow to Maddie. You've all met her. Um, and in honor of our upcoming wedding event, I ask if your partner let you choose our song and I'm air quoting that our song, the one that you dance to at your wedding and, uh, and you know, like every time it comes on, you're like, Oh, that's our song. Mm -hmm. And they also genuinely don't care what you picked. What song would you choose and why? So I want to be clear. I'm giving you carte blanche, free reign, no consequence to choose a song that you would play. Imagine a John Hughes film to dance with your partner in front of people at an event. And that's your song. And there's no risk. They're not going to get mad at you. What song? And Ross, you've still got about mm, 24 hours until you get married. (laughs) We could try to make this happen. So just think strategically, man. Yeah, you say there's no consequences, but this this is the real world. There are consequences, so yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's between you and Matt. Uh-huh. So, um, so which do you pick and why? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah already kind of did this to me, mm. and then I it became my favorite answer. So it's what I picked anyway. You got our songed. Uh, I did get our songed, uh, but she's very funny, and so she got me. Um, and so I said, what, what would we, what would, if we did a wedding, cause we're never going to do that, but we right. talk about it. Cause it's like, if we went to Mars, um, if we did a wedding, what would we even play? And she just said without hesitation, two out of three, ain't bad. Uh, whose chorus is, <laughs> I want you, I need you, but baby, I ain't ever going to love you. And I'm like, well, that's just the funniest thing she could have said. <laughs> Damn, with no beat. Uh, and, uh, so that's my pick. It was very good. It was very, very good. Yeah. Man. Okay. Uh, RIP meatloaf. You dumb yeah. Herman Cain award winning. <laughs> asshole. But, uh, uh you had yeah. two real good albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very funny. We were in the funeral and, um, Sarah's sister's boyfriend was, you know, I like those meatloaf songs, but I haven't listened to his other stuff. <laughs> we were like listening to meatloaf cause he just died. And then we got like an hour to drive. He's like, you know what y'all, I, I don't, I like meatloaf very much. It's all very slow and drawn out. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. That's right. Uh, it is very uh-huh. funny. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, that's Noah, my answer. Ross? Um, huh. Well, I feel like my my knee-jerk instinct is to say simple and clean, the Kingdom Hearts theme song. Oh my god. <laughs> because I know that oh, my yeah. girlfriend does in fact love kingdom hearts so that's, I, that's hope like, you're, I hope you're ready for aaron to weep like <laughs> ugly tears <laughs> at the wedding. like your mother is gonna have to be comforting you him finish a bottle of dan Aykroyd's <laughs> terrible vodka uh. yeah 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 um also i think that's much more danceable than probably anything else i could probably pull out mm-hmm. so 
What does it sound like uh, with the accompaniment of a grown man sobbing in the back? Yes. That's my question. Well, we'll put him in the back so he's not. (laughs) Aaron back there holding a raspberry lambic just (laughs) weeping. All right, Ross, this is you. And I don't know if Maddie is in earshot. And I don't know if you're making. Maddie's not in earshot. Maddie's out in the living room right now. Uh, well, I'm in the office with the door closed, but I mean, Maddie will eventually <laughs> listen to this. So, uh, and I will probably tell her what I, what my answer is. Um, so I have two choices, uh, and I'm not sure. I know the, the, the better option is to pick, uh, uh, my chemical romance. Welcome to the black parade, because this is also for Maddie too. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, pop punk yeah. is the right way to go. Um, and How danceable is that? That well, I mean, it, it picks up after the intro. Like, yeah. Uh, well, is dancing is dancing this? Yeah, just kind of <laughs> swing around. Yeah, because then very so my, extremely danceable. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like danceable songs. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like my first option. My first thought though was like, okay, I have to be a little drunk at least to try this. And it's not. It's not danceable at all. It's Florence and the Machine, Cosmic Love, because uh, I love that song. And uh, it, yeah, I, it's it's you know like when I'm dancing with Maddie, it'd be very romantic, but it's also like not a super danceable song. Uh, right. So, um, but yeah, it'd probably be one of those two. I, I can't really think. Hot of, take. Yeah, the danceability is a factor that can make it all all the more greater. Yeah, and mm-hmm. here's the real move to choose a song. That is explicitly not for dancing, let alone slow dancing, and then slow dance. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's yeah. what I feel like, like Cosmic Love, but we're uh, both a little drunk. So, you know, like we don't give a shit. We, we're no longer self conscious about it. I thought you were doing right. Godspeed for a second there when you're talking about anti dance. Like, oh no, the, the machine is bleeding to death. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like. I'm Thanks, not gonna troll the, the, <laughs> my my the person I love at, at wedding. Like, yeah, no. that kind of yeah, no. um, yeah, yeah. We're gonna slow dance the tachyon by Death Grips. <laughs> you know, yeah. I thought I thought long and hard about this question, mm-hmm. and um, originally I thought like something that would just be jar- like Guar. I went through the Guar catalog and thought uh-huh. it would be good here, but I'll tell you. I had some success years ago in picking a song on this podcast for something romantic. And I think that now I just want to keep picking that song for romantic moments. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to pick it again. And it's Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men. And <laughs> I, I want to slow dance to that song. At a, like, at a, like yeah. could I redo my wedding, you know, and Brandy jokes often that I'll get another shot at it. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think I would probably make that a part of the screening process. You could, you like, could do a renewal of vows, you know? Yeah. Right. That's right. We yeah. could, we could do a renewal of vows. Oof, hoof, hoof. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I think it's who left the dogs out by the Baja men. Uh-huh. Uh, Hey, if you've got a great hour song, uh, feel free to let us know what that is on social media or in the discord. And with that, we're going to grab another beer. We'll be right back. Hey, Noah, what are you drinking? I'm drinking from Thin Man Brewery. There's a doodle in my noodle, and its name is Minky Boodle. Mm, Pretty good. Mm. Pretty good. This is a raspberry sour ale, according to the notes doc. 
Yeah. Hmm. That's certainly very raspberry. Uh, raspberry. Okay, so on the sweeter side of sour? Yes, definitely on the sweeter side of sour. Um, but I definitely, I really like it. I'm going to call it, give this a four. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll drink a raspberry pretty much anything. Also, yeah. the fact that it's a space ghost, coast to coast references. I, uh, it's favor. I've, I've rediscovered the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yes. And, um, are you about to do raspberry jelly? No. Uh, I've started doing raspberry preserves and it's superior. Ooh. Beats the hell out of that grape shit. For a second, I thought you were talking about some craft beer called that. And like, I was like, no, wait. No, exactly. actual bread. All right. Yes. With peanut butter and some form okay. of jelly. Okay. Like, yes. What kind of peanut butter? Uh, I, I went creamy, but it's what they had. Supply chain issues. Maybe. Okay. Creamy's okay. right. Yeah. Creamy's crunchy, crunchy peanut butter is disgusting. Um, I. Mm, all right, well, I'm out of here. Y'all have fun. I, 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 I fuck with crunchy. I fuck with crunchy. I do. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm, it was I'm agnostic. Yeah. yeah. No, that's um, what it means. Anyway, what, <laughs> that is what that means. Uh, it's we'll never bother <laughs> our um, creative writing author. segment. Yeah. Um, in honor of Waffle House Vistas, a coffee table book about views from various Waffle Houses, we're each going to pick a topic or location that we could write a coffee table book about mm-hmm. um bonus points if ross doesn't pick vaporwave and or abandoned malls uh but yeah uh but that's just bonus points uh-huh. we, we'll see um so uh spencer w- w- what's first hit, hit us so this is my question because waffle house vistas is sitting on my coffee table right now um, <laughs> And it really is a meditative, gorgeous book. I will tell you that. I really want to tell um, you. I've not heard of it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm. Uh, you you can certainly borrow. Um, and it really is like just like you know, like mm-hmm. dude went around, sat in waffle houses, looked out, and wrote about it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's quite contemplative. Um, so I thought about two things for this question. One is, um, I and I think about this often. Like, well, I don't think about it often, but I thought about it a few times. Leaf, we saw my nieces a few months ago, uh, and they're uh, eleven and nine, I think. And they wanted to like go buy a toy. It's like, fuck yeah, let's go buy all the toys. That's mm-hmm. what you know. That's what uncles do. And it struck me like we don't have a toy store. Like we would go to Target or Walmart or whatever. But like mm-hmm. when we were growing up of a certain age, there was KB Toys, there was Toys R Us. Like we had these tr- monuments. Yeah, plastic and capitalism. And it struck me like those those have just gone by the wayside for a variety Mm -hmm. of reasons, at least Mm -hmm. in in the Midwest. And and that's so stunning to me to think about toy stores would be dark. dark The the toy store is much more of a boutique thing nowadays. I like I can totally remember Mm-hmm. Like going into a KB Toys and buying like the '90s Spider-Man animated TV series yep. action figures. Like, mm-hmm. yep. I think the closest that you might is... have is like GameStop now. No, well, yeah. actually, um, I recently went to Vintage Stock, which is our local used to be the comic book store. Oh yeah, Vintage um, Stock. Yeah. yeah, they have toys, but they have an entire road devoted to Funko Pops. That's yes. the kind of yes. like, yeah, that's the kind of thing that toys are sold to or you know, adults yeah. who grew up with toys and now we get yeah. them as adults. And yeah. so I think yeah. like, uh, I, you know, we had a couple, like we, you know, our Toys R Us, you know, it's been converted into like a fucking Mardell or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so I think like uh, old toy stores, especially ones yeah. that still had like the old shelving or some of the old uh, mm-hmm. like uh, in caps and whatnot would be fascinating. Yeah. You know, the other thing, the other thing I think, uh, that's probably my, that, that's my answer. I won't worry mm-hmm. about the second one. That's my answer. Fucking toy, old toy stores. 
Which I feel is like a, close to abandoned malls. In but like it's you get to do that. I see how it is. I I would yeah. imagine yeah, most of these will probably be in abandoned right malls. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I saw a Toys R a, a trailer a tractor trailer still marked with Toys R Us just the other day and it 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 hit deep. It's like damn, that yeah. was sort of the death knell for toy stores. Mm-hmm. Like the final I nail mean, in the coffin. I was even thinking, you know, like down on the, the the plaza in Kansas City, which is kind of like, you know, the the OG, like bougie shopping area in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like a big treat during Christmas. My grandma would take me down to FAO Schwartz and mm-hmm. uh, and, and like that feels like the thing that's left, you know, kind of like the, the hyper boutique affluent um, toy store experience. But even even those FAO Schwartzes are like going by the wayside now. And yeah. so, well, kids yeah, don't play with toys. Sure. They play with video games now. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. They have play iPads, with phones. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's mine. Okay. All right, Noah. What's yours? Um, I think mine. I w- I think I would love to do a coffee table book of just like war game miniatures, just like mm-hmm. them on the table, people's armies like arrayed, like them in play, that kind of deal. So like, go to like big tournaments, stuff like that, take photos, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Go to like a lot of like hobby shops that do wargaming have like glass cases that are just full of people's armies or like mm-hmm. local army, like people that own those shops and stuff like that. And just take like a bunch of like loving photos of all that stuff because like a lot of the love and care that goes into a lot of those models, a lot of like the conversions and stuff like that, I think mm-hmm. would make for a fantastic like coffee table book. Um, yeah. There is um, an online magazine called 28 Mag that is kind of that, but it's also like interviews and stuff like that. But they do really great photo shoots of like all these different miniatures and stuff like that. I think that that would definitely be sort of the the aesthetic I would be going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Ross? Uh, so you, you, you limited vaporwave, even though there's like a burgeoning live scene movement now. It's, or, yeah, I mean, it's, you, it's you, just, it's just the bonus points you're leaving now, on the desk. I, I, I know. Bonus points. You, I'm yeah. just, I'm just prefacing this. And then like Bandit Mall has actually been covered really well in coffee table books. So that's actually, mm-hmm. there's nothing I could do that has already hasn't been done. Uh, my parents, like I grew up with my parents writing coffee table books uh, uh, about like antiques and Branson for a while that one of their, my family's friends was John Margulies, who's like this, author who did a coffee table book about mini golf and the there's astroturf on the cover of this book about mini golf so like uh coffee table books are something I, i'm deeply uh, ingrained of i would probably do a coffee table book at someday um what if i could do a coffee table book and i could do it about anything um i would do it about low budget movies productions so uh, I would contact different filmmakers and I would like go on set and take photos of their things that are in production. Now, obviously, we would go from like, you know, the the, the people trying to make something for Sundance. Uh, definitely get the Asylum, one of their schlock things, knockoff things. Mm-hmm. But also the auteurs, like, of course, of Mr. Neil Breen. I'm sure he would love uh, uh, the yes. publicity. Um so uh yeah there there would be um so yeah that Neil would be Green would would be happy to be published in anything semi-professional yeah exactly imagine. anything so, that yeah, gives them respectability I, so like and just like the most hideous white book ever <laughs> printed 
We've seen what he does with this in his film masterclass in the the worst decorated room. It's not he would just I've be ever one. see. I would get a cross section of filmmakers. You know, like, <laughs> it would it would be different ones and just see like everything from them actually shooting a scene to like just the person at the craft services table. You know the the saddest collection of hot dogs and like instant uh, coffee you can find. Um, and uh, yeah, and just like the locations they shoot in, you know what equipment they've scavenged together the props and you know uh that but yeah just the people making movies for the love of making movies because yeah the or to the make saddest them. collection of hot dogs is the name of my slam poetry book <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah caleb um so i actually had an idea for this before it was proposed as a question it's very dumb i don't know how it would ever be done but it's based on a weird theory I have that's almost kind of unknown army ease e. So um, I think it means something when you go to a vending machine and it gives you something free mm-hmm. or it gives you twice what you paid for. Like cosmically, I think there's significance. I don't okay. know what it is. I just know it's there because every time I go to a vending machine, something has probably gone wrong in my life. I'm at work. I'm at a hospital. It's already kind of a high tension situation. Mm -hmm. And when you drop something as just rawly fortuitous as I paid for one bag of Lay's and I got two. I mean, I feel like it always means something like you're nervous. You're at a conference. You're about to pass out. You get two before the big speech means something. Grandma just died. You get two cookies instead. Like mm-hmm. it might not mean something good. <laughs> it might mean something insulting, but it fucking means something. So like <laughs> it would just be very high end photography of vending machines mm-hmm. in their location. And then the other page would be sort of a studs Turkle esque oral history of the person who got to something out of that vending machine. And it'd be sort of like a Humans of New York. I was going to say, yeah. but Humans the, of Vending Machines. Yeah, it would be just the... You would never see the person it was talking about. Mm-hmm. You would only hear, well, G8 paid off twice this day. And it was important. So, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what it would be called, but that's my idea. I think it means something. I'd want to, like sort of oral history document that because I, I don't think I'm the only one who's had this experience. So I I like it. I, I would definitely buy that <laughs> book, I think. <laughs> the karma yeah. yeah. The karma of Ben. I, I, yeah. Right. I would love to tell people when I got, you know, like two frosted donut packages. And and like yeah. what was happening that day, the salve that that was universally for me. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> Two Snickers came out of the machine and I got uh-huh. fired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it means something. I just, right. I, I don't know. I just think may, maybe not every time, but uh, it has always meant something for me. Uh, but anyway, yeah. that's my coffee table book. I wouldn't be a lookout. photographer who's very good at lighting vending machines. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, you'll be able to buy these in the Mix 6 store. That's not a thing. Uh, as soon as they're ready. Uh, and with that, uh, we're going to grab more beer, and we'll be right back. Producer Ross, what are you drinking? Four Heads Brewing Company. Um, I'll stop that. Uh... 
It has a hard seltzer that is apricot almond. And it's got a lovely, just kind of abstract... Uh, the colors don't really come through on the webcam. But, you know, it's gluten-free. It's a hard seltzer, so... Hmm. It, it, it looks like, like a peach into brown, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if someone ran into the 70s? Mm. With the- I, I was mm. saying before we started, I'm medium on apricot. I am what? Yeah. Almond. I'm 404 not found. I like um, almonds. Like, not in beer. Uh, yeah, I don't often like- think of See? almonds as liquids, except for almond milk. Um, See, there's a orjo, which is uh, mm-hmm. an almond syrup yeah. in, like, cocktails. Like, Mai Tais yeah. use, use mm-hmm. almond. Yeah. Um, I don't taste the almonds. Yeah. Uh, it's like a thin almond syrupy kind of flavor or uh, apricot uh, syrup uh, kind of like it's not. It, yeah, it's not the it's not the absolute worst thing. It's it's just I mean, I don't care for apricots that much. And it's kind of kind of is nothing. it worth extremely mild arsenic poisoning? What? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Oh, all right. Uh, you, no, I'm going to give this a two. Uh, okay. Okay. It is yeah. not like does not make me want to spit it out, but it's and I'm probably going to keep sipping it because it's in front of me and like noble Socrates. Yeah. It's <laughs> the hemlock. Yeah, basically. Um, what are we what are we talking about, Spencer? This is ask mixed six. And boy, did you Stephen Lee, the G.O.A.T. asks. How many books is too many books to own? He, he put a caveat in there mm-hmm. that he thinks he's rapidly approaching or perhaps past that point. And this is actually a conversation that I had last week with Brandy. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was timely. And let me tell you why I had that conversation last week. I am halfway through Death's End, which is the last of the three body problem. Ooh, I haven't even started trilogy. that one. Yeah. And I'm about to dig in on the Southern Reach trilogy after that. Mm-hmm. And... So here's my interruption to this question. Hot take. Mm -hmm. It may not just be a question of number of books. It's size of books that is also a problem that I'm learning. Because Mm -hmm. the three-body problem, that's like a solid eight inches of shelf space Mm -hmm. between those three books. Normal size books, that's like five or six books, four or five books, maybe. This this is running, this is like causing an actual stacking issue for me. And uh, I just bought all nine volumes of Berserk. I understand what you're talking oh, about. Oh, fuck, yeah. 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 So I think it's partially a, a, a volume issue. Oh, yeah. Oh, Those big no, old no manga ones. Drifting Classroom, also enormous. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, what's that? So, so I've got um, a couple of the Gotrick and Felix omnibuses. So this is actually like. Oh, nice. Yeah. Three books in one, like three paperbacks, but that's pretty big. I've also just got the wonderful um, Haunted West by Chris Spivey. That's mm-hmm. an enormous 800-page tome. 800 pages, um, yeah. I definitely want to read that. Uh, like, yeah. I get I get the, the question is probably more pertaining to, like, fiction and nonfiction, like, you know, books you read for reading's sake, as opposed to game books, but I have... A lot of RPG books mm-hmm. that are ranging from massive to tiny, but yeah. a lot of them can end up in very weird shapes. Like, I have Hill Folk, which is slightly bigger than every other RPG book I have. Is oh, yeah, to, like, I forgot they did that it's, weird like, aspect ratio. And, yeah. 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 and then I have several, like, Red Markets and uh, Haunted West and Zweihander that are all, like, yeah. incredibly thick. Thick books because they are basically three books in one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
So I think size is actually more likely for me to keep a book because yeah. it, would be oh, sure. it would be prohibitively expensive to buy another copy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm I'm trying to downsize a lot. Yeah. Um, I tried to downsize a lot before even Noah was supposed to get here for the wedding. Like um, just because I have all of these board games that I would normally sell on sort of a con cycle, but I mm-hmm. haven't. So it's a sort of accumulating. Yeah. And also, um, I'm I'm just I'm not trying to move. I'm just preparing to move because it's uh, America in 2022. God knows what's going to happen. So, yeah. um, I'm selling off all of my graphic novels and most comic things I have, and it's been rough. Like I have been collecting comic books since I was like four to six. I do have like a strong physical attachment to those items. They did bring yeah. me joy, and I did take care of them. But they were also things I was going to have to move, things I was not going to reread, and I barely get to read anything anymore anyway. So um, the cash was nicer and more useful and less stressful than having them in my home. So, like, are there such things as too many books? Outside of reference books, it's probably every book, unless you are going to explicitly reread it. Because otherwise, it's just on your shelf. Like, unless it's there for decoration... If you are not going to go reread it, what I've been telling myself is then, yeah, it doesn't need to be here Um, because now it's just waiting to be gone later. Um, So that would be my answer. But I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sort of in a purge mode. Yeah. And uh, it's been difficult to purge and this side of thing. It's not like I just feel good about it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, yeah, I I I totally I totally get that sort of um, view. Like I. I very rarely read read books nowadays. A lot of it is audiobooks mm-hmm. just because I think I process the information better and it's also something I can put on while like I'm working mm-hmm. as opposed to something that like I get home from work and like go and read or something like that like it's a lot easier for me to 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 uh, to do an audiobook. Um so I, mean, I totally I still get, collect RPGs like I still collect, I, yeah, I still, still totally uh, collect RPGs. I will still get physical versions of certain books just like especially if it's something from an author that i really like or something along those lines something that i want to have reference to but yes i I, but um a print book unless it's something where i gotta flip a lot of pages like cyclonopedia Mm -hmm. or like infinite jest or something like that with footnotes Mm -hmm. i I just don't need a print book anymore yeah yeah i can get it on kindle like and, and and i could still get rid of it and still get it on kindle and it literally doesn't change now I understand not wanting to like read PDF versions of like Lancer or something like because mm-hmm. like that's the glory of an RPG book. The reason they're so fucking hard to make is because they're three types of fucking book. They're a coffee table right. book that's fun right. to flip through. Mm-hmm. They're a reference manual, and then they're also a fiction. Like, um, and that that's a lot of value for however many things are bound in the page. But like, I might have a physical attachment to my copy of Slaughterhouse Five, but I can get the exact same thing. On a Kindle, it's not like I'm not going to be able to read that ever again if I go sell it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that that's where I'm at on those things. So it will almost always be a comic or something not evenly reproducible online for me mm-hmm. if I have a book at this point. And then even then, if I'm not going to reread it, I'm going to try and get rid of it. So, like I have the art of blasphemous, a very excellent yeah. Metroidvania that, like, this is a very limited run book that they put out. And I was like, man, the art. And like the artistic mm-hmm. direction in this game is fucking phenomenal, and getting right. to see how they worked up to it. Yeah, maybe if is, you keep a book, you should love it as a physical object, not as a book. 
Yeah, know. exactly. Like if you I like think... it as a book as well, that's great. But like it is ultimately a physical object. And if you only like it as a book, guess what? You read the book. It's in your head. You have yeah. it. You got it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I think Mary Kondo's does this spark joy is actually a really useful metric. Like, I mean, oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, I'm at this point, too, where I'm like, I need to declutter the shit. That's actually my big New Year's resolution this year is to declutter um, and yeah. just like sell and get rid of shit. And um, yeah, so we... Yeah, like I have too many books, that's for sure. Um, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you can tell from behind me, but I'm a notorious pack rat, so I have a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. I should probably actually go through and get rid of, but it's very hard for me to. So, yeah. uh, like, but some of those omnibuses I already have, but I have older I, I would comfortably say that Stephen Lee asked how many books is too many books to own. The answer could just be the amount you have right now. Because, like, I would say that that is... Uh, within a realm of being statistically negligible whenever you can know right longer, for almost everyone whenever you like, can no i think that's a correct statement for almost everybody yeah well yeah. no i mean yeah. i think oh. there are people i think it's like how many can you comfortably store in your in your house whatever or yeah. place of living and whenever you're whenever you're at the point where you like you have uh to make does room. this look like the home of a book corner yeah exactly yeah <laughs> would a book corner live here yeah. So, yeah. so in this closet over here, I have at least seven or eight bankers boxes full of RPG books. Yeah. Most of them I will probably never play. Yeah. Or I have PDFs of, but I still like having the physical book. Yep. Yeah. I should probably get rid of most of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean that that's kind of I think what it comes down to is like does this does this spark joy? Do you? actively go back to this book at any like regularity mm-hmm. um is it something that you find especially meaningful that you want to keep it like i can understand wanting to keep like maybe a signed copy or something mm-hmm. like that like sure if, but for example kane had signed something you know you yes if kane it. had signed say a copy of battle for the belt the so. wwe board game that you were giving as a gift to one of your friends who was getting married yeah, um yeah. You'd keep that probably. Yes, yes. Yeah. I appreciate the gestures you're doing, Caleb. Thank you. The, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, did you know that he's a mayor in a town in Tennessee yes. now? Yes, like I did. Yes. Um, uh, yes, he's a libertarian. Of course he is. He's a pro wrestler. Yeah. Yes. So like, <laughs> the hardest thing about getting like getting rid of the thing is the hardest part. But once you do that, it's so much easier. You just forget about it. Like I got rid yeah. of like a huge stack of books and DVDs uh, right before Maddie showed up just to make room. And like, I was like, Oh God, should I get, give her this or give her this? And then like, after I did it, I don't think about them anymore. I don't even remember what I gave yeah. away. So like, it's great. Like, so yeah. just remember what the hardest part is the actual giving away. If you make it past that, it's all you, you, you never regret it. Like, at least and, I've you know, never I think, regretted it. So, yeah, I think this topic can definitely not even just be applied to books, but to like, anything you own well like i did give away my suit because i never thought i'd need to wear a suit again yeah. and then ross was like well, hey i need you to wear a suit for this wedding so but you, you can't gotta, go too far you got a good suit it is from the shaquille o'neal collection so hey, definitely hey, a trade-off <laughs> Spencer, are you okay? you're welcome <laughs> All I'm saying is you're uh, welcome. But yeah, like like you can apply this to like video games. You can apply this to like board games. You can apply this to mm-hmm. like toys and stuff like that that you have. Like there's plenty of stuff that I definitely yeah. know that I need to get rid of 
that no, I it just simply haven't. The contents yeah. of my basement. Yeah. Yes. That's, yes. That's jarring. I've yeah. seen your basement before. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, but all do right. you need all of that? I nope. think we need every single one of those copies of Party Fell. We're saving them for later. Right. Um, right. You you will build your tombs out of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, sell <laughs> everything you have before someone takes it from you, like Jack Re- Reacher. Live wandering from town to town. <laughs> okay. With only Maybe. the shirt on your back and a Greyhound your, bus ticket. Your your salvation. That's our Army recommendation here. Rift store jeans yeah. and shirt that fit you perfectly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They uh, will have your like size. Just trust in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spencer, Spencer, you have you've been awfully quiet this 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 chat. What do you what do you think? Well, the problem is I value books as physical objects. I grew up around books. Books were okay. like an important part of my and so I know that I have uh I'm not gonna say too many, I won't apply a valence to it, but I have a lot of books, many of which I'll never go back to, but I own them because books are yeah. a thing for me. I think it's a different question when you own a home too. Like, yes, sure, yeah, you have a space. You've you've got a confined thing to plan around, and so you can sort of like with your board game library work some in, work Mm -hmm. some out. Like, I'm not saying it's bad then, but like, I don't, I don't own anything. I don't think I ever am going to own anything. I also think (laughs) maybe like instead of just getting rid of them, like I mean, you should pass them on to other people. Like, right, yeah, hey, hey, you like this stuff? Why don't you take this book? Hey, Mm, or at least take them to like you know a secondhand books or some sort of thrift store or something along those lines for sure. Yeah, go nuts, folks. Yeah. Um, Okay, Uh, I am going to grab another beer. I believe that I am up, and we will be right back for more Mix 6 Podcast. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? So Ross and Maddie brought this over a few weeks ago. We had dinner and did some wedding planning, um, and Ross left some here, so now it's going to be on the podcast. This is O'Fallon. Dad's original oatmeal stout, and boy, boy, did they want you to think of like old timey mm-hmm. corner oh, store yeah. cookie bakery. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, we'll see. Yes, we got uh, Maddie quite enjoys O'Fallon Dad's original oatmeal stout. Um, and I, I liked it oh, too. That's, yeah, that's quite good. Yeah. Um, mm. you know. What's interesting about that is that it has the slightest hint of like oatmeal cookie, so like a little sugar. Yeah, it's a little sweet. And but not oh, it says malt beverage with natural flavor. What well, what's the ABV on this? Now I'm getting worried. Um, <laughs> oh, it's only five point nine percent. Okay, we're fine. Yeah. Um, we've had a couple of like oatmeal cookie beers. In fact, there was one. Fuck, I can't remember who did it now. Mm-hmm. But pretty good brewery. We were excited to try it. Maybe it was Cigar City. Did they do an oatmeal cookie? I think they did. And I remember thinking it was too like it was too much. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not like this is a light drinking stout with a hint of oatmeal cookie. This is pretty good. This is a four for me. Oh, I, wow. uh, nice. I, I like a yeah. I like this beer. All right. Like to give that a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, this is uh, your favorite mix six segment. Of course, you've heard it thousands of times before. Uh, and in honor of Broa's return to the podcast, this is our segment. We don't know anything. Um, <laughs> and uh, Broa from Thinking Too Hard About Anime, uh, we ask, what's the next anime I should watch and why? And I will extend to you the same uh-huh. gambit I extended to Ross and Caleb. 
on our video game Double Down over mm -hmm. the holidays. I will watch some portion of this thing. So choose wisely and choose carefully, please. Okay. So so what have you watched? So okay. I want to get a, a baseline. So look, I think this is like a pretty good list. All right. Okay. So off the top of my head, obviously I watched a lot of Trigun. Uh, I watched FLCL. I watched okay. Big O. Loved Cowboy Bebop. Uh, watched the first season of Jujutsu Kaisen. Really liked that. Okay. Uh, I am 60% of the way through Hunter Hunter, uh, which 60% of the way through Hunter Hunter is 100% of the way through most television shows. Mm -hmm. so right, yes. That's a win. <laughs> um, in terms of series, and then uh, most of the Miyazaki stuff at this point. Okay. Uh, Paprika, which you know, see above. There is a Satoshi Khan film that I would like to watch and I can't remember. Blue something maybe. Perfect Blue. Uh, Perfect Blue. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that feels okay. like a good list. I feel like okay. you've tried anime at this point. Yeah. You I have think we could say he has tried anime. A yeah. pretty good baseline. Yeah. So um, I definitely would recommend Perfect Blue. It is probably one of the best psychological thrillers to ever be made. Um oh. Okay. Yes. So they made a different movie out of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. um, if you want to know where Darren Aronofsky gets a lot of his shit from, Perfect Blue is probably the mm. the, the perfect inspiration there. Um, I think what I would recommend, based off of what you have seen so far, is probably Demon Slayer. Oh, uh, okay. I've almost started uh, that on Netflix a few times. I, I think that probably falls more into your real house of what you've watched and what you have enjoyed so far. It is very much in that shonen anime. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. shonen basically means boy, like yep. preteen boy kind of anime. That is probably like the perfect sort of continuation of the steps that you have been making so far. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, Demon Slayer. Oh, also, yeah. I've watched Avatar and Castlevania. I know that by... Some definitions those don't count, but they. Do I would call those anime. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, anime is just the Japanese word. Actually, technically, it's the French word for animation, taken by the Japanese for their wow particular stylistic um, endeavors. But yes, I would totally consider it. Avatar on loan from the Gauls. Like, yes. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Avatar and Korra and uh, Castlevania. I would tell Castlevania slapped. By the way, mm -hmm. have you, you've seen all four seasons? Yes, excellent. In like um, three days, that show fucking mm -hmm. slapped. Do you ever think very... about like you're like animated up now? By my estimation, like at least as like animated as animated like as I am, this. certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, do you ever I would think about say, how the people you deal with every day would regard you as the biggest weeb on the planet? And there's just so much deeper to go. Like, yeah. the average it, guy you see in a business meeting has to think you're insane. And I think <laughs> about it often. In fact, Brandy walked in the other day, and I was watching Hunter Hunter, mm -hmm. and she was like, "Oh my god, what's wrong with you?" And I didn't have the heart to tell her that it was probably one of the more normal things I have watched in terms of anime. Oh yeah. And I mean, oh, and I also, can recommend um, you all sorts of disgusting bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, let's not. Let's not. Yeah, no. Like, I'm not going to tell you go watch Golden Boy. Golden Boy is only six episodes, but it is probably the horniest show you will ever see in your life. Um, yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would probably say Demon Slayer is probably the best 
recommendation for where you are currently. Um, it is, you know, sort of post feudal Japan and sort of like the, the Meiji uh, restoration. So the sort of Westernization of Japan. So there's like, mm-hmm. there's trains and there's more like Western style clothing, but they still use, uh, they still have a lot of like traditional clothes over top of it with like swords and like stuff like that. And they're hunting demons. And it's about basically this one guy whose family's killed by demons. His sister has turned into a demon and he's trying to hunt down the demons that did that. So he falls in with sure. the demon hunting, like, core yep um, yep that so, sounds right that sounds right um, i've done some i will of the tell more, you like, i will, slice I will of tell you that stuff Meh. okay okay if you want more slice of life stuff i'll tell you to watch keep your hands off Izoken, which is about three high school girls who want to start their own animation studio oh yeah i've, I've been meaning to um it's yeah. very it's very sort of slice of life it's very it's incredibly cute. It's a comedy series. Um, oh, you also did After School Dice Club, right? Oh, yeah. No, I, I watched a little, uh, uh, oh. and then I transitioned hard from watching that to, I think it was like 91 Hours, I think is what it was called, um, mm. uh, which is like uh, an anime take on like Prohibition era politics and the mafia, which was like a really interesting mm. ep- like series. Um yeah, after school dice oh. club might, might be something that I could get into. Oh, uh, Samurai Shampoo, if you haven't already. Yeah, <laughs> Samurai Shampoo. Oh, that's done. another oh, yeah. one. By the Cowboy Bebop guys. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Easy um, recommend. Yeah. Amazing yeah, soundtrack, and uh, it's only like yes, it's, it's, it's twenty six episodes. I actually have it on Blu Ray if you want to watch it. Yeah. Oh, that's yes. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. the soundtrack is by mostly by Nujabes, who is a Japanese lo fi hip hop producer who passed away yes. quite a few years ago, but. Um, he is sort of the the person a lot of people refer to when they think about like lo-fi hip-hop beats and stuff mm-hmm. like that. A lot of that kind mm-hmm. of comes off of mm-hmm. what he was doing and like the I, kind of people around him. I um, actually do that before Demon Slayer then. Yeah, Samurai Shampoo. Yeah, 26 episodes It's or 23. Yeah. It's it's a short watch. I actually watched it last year and it got it's beautiful. It's it holds good. up. Yeah, yeah, it holds, it holds up. Holds up. Um, uh, one that's even shorter would be Fully Cooley. Um, Ari did that one. Oh, Ari did that. Yeah. Yep. I gave him a DVD of that uh, a couple of years ago. Okay. Worth um, noting that I also watched four episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion. You gave it a shot. Yeah. That's all anyone can ever ask. You gave it a shot. Yeah. I will say that you should you should try and finish out the whole thing eventually. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Not gonna happen. I tried. <laughs> I did it my due diligence. It now, crossed a line. I've read the the mm-hmm. manga of Monster. Uh, I have not watched the anime version of it. Uh, I mean, Monster. A lot of uh, his stuff is very good. Yeah. Um, yes, it's about basically a doctor who. How would you feel if you were a doctor who saved not necessarily Hitler's life, but the next Hitler's life? And how would you feel responsible for that? And what would it's, you do? It's to the stop trolley him? problem. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It very much is. Yeah. Um. um all right. Well, you have to watch uh, Demon Samurai Slayer Champlain. and Samurai Champloo now. Yeah. That's that's yeah. where I'll start. Bingo, bingo. Okay. Done. Also, and if you get through both of those, I would say maybe you start on the 1,000 plus episodes of One Piece. No. <laughs> no. 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 Uh, also, I just, want, I just want to observe now that Caleb said it out loud. When I mentioned wanting to know more about anime, I don't think anybody on this podcast, including myself, would have thought that I would have gone that far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. Well, well Africa was a bad start. Yeah. There was a big 
like to your stumbling block. See, between... I feel like you probably shouldn't have said it on air. You You're probably should have right. come to one of us first. Yeah, some right. podcast host could have maybe warned you about that. And then yeah, it would have been yeah. nice if you assholes mm-hmm. would have said something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. huh. Well, anyways. Okay, anyway. Right. Samurai Shampoo. Bingo, bango. Done. Another beer. Drunk enough. We'll be right back. Caleb, what uh, what is that beer? This is from Walnut River Brewing Company, Cone Def. It mm-hmm. is a kettle soured India Pale Ale, five point nine percent ABV. As a man who loves a pun, I don't care for that pun. It's all very green. Are they going for like a like a colorblind thing? I don't I don't know if green has a skin. I don't know. I kind of look like I like. I mean, I like the look of the can through. through it's most soured. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I don't know. Have we ever had any Walnut River beer? I was thinking of White River. I don't know that I've I recognize. Is that a Walnut. local brewery? Not that I know of. I don't know much about it. Yeah. Mm. Caleb's going back for a second round though, so he's feeling he's feeling something. It's not. A That's wine. pretty intensely drinkable. Um, really. There's not a lot there, but the kettle sourness just gives you sort of a light sour tang. Mm-hmm. Um, no bitterness at all that you would expect from a pale ale. Um, all soured out of it, but it's not very sweet either. So it's very light and drinkable. Just sort of a, it's sour enough to get you want to take another sip of it. Mm. Um, and I think that is a good strategy. Um, you know so that that's was a four a, for me. Yeah, that was for me the allure of postcard was it was just sour enough for me to go. Oh, actually, I might like this style of beer. Yeah. Also, um, it was like. The thing about postcard, though, it, it sort of was pleasant. Like, I was glad I drank a postcard after I was after. This yeah. sort of dissipates pretty quickly. Oh, okay. um, I think postcard is also a little sweeter. Not much, but just mm. a, a little bit more um, probably, probably sugar more. in it. Uh, but it's quite good. I would drink many more of these. So what yeah. are we talking about? So this is Drunk Enough. And um, as I mentioned, I was just uh, secluded in a small, tiny town about 20 minutes outside of Lawrence, Kansas, which is in and of itself not a particularly large town, but for the university. Mm-hmm. Um, in in eastern central Kansas. Um, and it is like peak small town, right? There's a, there's a university there um, of a certain size, Baker University. It's a smaller college. But it, it's like one of those small towns that has you know, a couple fast food restaurants and a little downtown strip with some nice little like indie boutique restaurants that are kind of nice or different. And it's small enough that like mm, a lot of people know a lot of people, right. um, but also big enough that like you, you don't have to leave the town to get the things you need. Like you don't have to drive into the city mm-hmm. to get stuff. And uh, my sister and I were talking about this a little bit Um as we were driving around, uh, particularly to and from the liquor store. Um, it's got a liquor store. It's big enough for that, too, in fact. Um, I have always kind of been, like, uh, attracted to small-town lifestyle. And I don't know if that's partially kind of like the social anxiety. Like, just the idea of too many people always kind of gets me going. Um but there's also something that feels very uh, communal about it all, like knowing enough people, being happy to see people, you know, when you're out at breakfast at the diner or whatever. And um, so I've always kind of like thought like, yeah, that's that's a place where I would end up. I would tell you that having been in a small town now and and I had not been anywhere 
really anywhere at all for the last two years. More deeply than ever, I felt the pull to this kind of environment. Like I felt strongly about that. And Brandy and I couldn't be more on opposite ends here. She mm -hmm. she wants to live in like New York City. I mean, you know, like a big metropolis, etc. And I got to wondering, is the deep pull of the small town more for me now because I've been boxed up? Is it more for me now because of COVID and Trump and all of it? Is the allure of the small town more of even more of a function of the time? And has does anybody else get that feeling? Like the more we do this, do you get more pulled to the idea of not cities? I I think that is just sort of a thing about getting older in a lot of senses mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so like okay. i was born in virginia beach or mm -hmm. technically norfolk but it's all like the sort of it's not a huge city but it's still enough of a city like it's the biggest like military mm -hmm. center on the east yeah. coast for the most part so it, and its surrounding towns and stuff like that were were built up enough that when we moved my family moved to north carolina to to have luck that is a podunk out of nowhere town on the coast that is the reason the only reason it's on the map is because it has a military like air station there yeah um and growing up there was fairly nice but it's also there's not a lot to do unless you right. want to be a sort of you know backwoods mud and hunting kind of kid yeah didn't really go for me if you mm -hmm. couldn't tell um <laughs> but i totally understand as you know as you get older you kind of want to get into more of a community yeah um like and that and that's so challenging because it's not like i don't feel like we mm -hmm. don't have a community in springfield you know sure. um maybe it's a question of want or like at some point yeah. you know like do you like the community you're in you know that's yeah. uh, that um, seems like an important condition I, yeah, I, there's something more communal about it yeah just having that that kind of cl closer tighter knit kind of community having that less of an outside presence i guess mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um i mean i'm sure like every little town has it's like walmart or like walmart um dollar general uh, mm -hmm. yeah something along those lines that creeps in but also just knowing that hey i can know just about everybody in town like i can definitely see that as appealing like so here's a weird kind of train of thought for me is i recently played through all of red dead redemption 2 to completion and that has sort of in, engendered a want of like maybe i want to move to wyoming and be mm. around nobody mm. on like a ranch <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wide open spaces man yeah wide open spaces have nobody near me for miles and miles like that actually sounds kind of nice and i think i definitely don't think covid has necessarily hurt that yeah. desire in any means right, right. <laughs> um but i i totally understand like i am very close to new york city where i live now and uh aside from it being a terrible place to have to go to for work uh, especially if you are driving. Um, I just don't want to be around that many people. Right. Um, right. I think in general, I don't want to be around that many people. And especially with COVID and how it loves like, uh, you know, people. high density populations. I don't want to mm -hmm. be around that many people. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'd be careful, guys. I I mean, you want to be careful that your survival instinct isn't kicking in, but you live in America, which is bright-sided, which is actually Mm -hmm. nothing's wrong. Actually, you're insane for thinking anything's wrong. You're an alarmist. You're an un-American for thinking something. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Why are you bringing everyone down? And what happens when you're an American in that and you do suffer some sort of anxiety is you start looking for positive explanations for it. Like, Mm -hmm. well... I'm not scared or I don't think this is an issue, but I want this. So like, yes, of course I want more community too. Um, I would love to live in some sort of cooperative arrangement. That'd be great. Um, and that's what I look for. That's my grass is greener, but like the community of a small town anywhere is not the community of small town outside of Lawrence. So like, well, that would be the first thing I said, like you're looking for community. Well, I, I ascribe to the more Max Brooks idea of thing is that a village is made of need. Um, the reason you're invested in the community of Springfield is you're invested in the material reality of Springfield. Like you are part of the business association. Like, are you going to be part of the business of the small town? Like you're going to go down and work at the lumber yard. Right. Probably no. not. No. <laughs> um, no, furthermore, work. a lot of small towns in America are bad places mm-hmm. to live. Oh, if 100%. you believe certain things, yeah. terrifying yeah. places that will not That's- only communally leave you out. will actually ostracize you. That's a hundred percent. Like I, I, I'm definitely, that's definitely all the thing that was in like the back of my mind is like, Hey, if I move out to like one of these small towns, there's a 99% chance that they're going to be some very right leaning, uh, not great people to be around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, are you going to church with those people? Are you engaging their community on their terms? Cause you did move there like that, yeah. that that's, that's another thing. So I, I think that's a fact. That said, like the community thing is a desire that is genuine. Uh, everyone's mm-hmm. atomized now. Everyone needs that in their life and needs more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the human brain is incapable of fathoming it past a certain level, yet Dunbar's number. And um, most towns, in the words of our parlance, already have too many of it for a human being to grasp that. Mm-hmm. You're thinking more on the village level um, yeah. where humans are yeah. comfortable. Um, and so when you get into city and metropolis, yeah, there's some anxiety there. But um, I will say a lot of this is probably COVID anxiety psychologically because, man, it's hollowed out. Like, the, the every promise is broken. Like, mm-hmm. we'll take care of you unless you don't have health insurance. And if you do have health insurance, you better have the right in health insurance unless we can get out of it, unless you have enough time to call us. Like, ev- everything is broken. Everything's hollowed out. Um a community requires trust. Do you trust these motherfuckers running around here without their masks on? I certainly don't fuck like the, the public trust has never been lower. Mm-hmm. No one is coming. If you make a call, they're not going to get here. They're definitely not going to get here in time. I think that makes for a, I need to get the fuck out of here. Like mm-hmm. um, what I would say though, is like, you would probably say shit to yourself. If you were like, you know what? It's a pandemic. I'm surrounded by stupid people who believe crazy things. I'm not going to make a rasticism. I'm going to understand that this might be fear motivated, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I don't think you're going to say that to yourself. It's like, well, it's really about community. That's why I want to move out to this coal mining town and become friends with the coal miners and have my job (laughs) be the coal mining. And like, you know what? No, you're not. You're not going to do that. They don't want to talk to you. There's not going to be nothing you can do there. Like there there's you're in a community because you share needs and you're not going to be yourself the second you change community because your needs are going to change. Um, I I would keep that in mind, which is not a saying don't move ever, 
but yeah. I, but it is saying like move realistically. Acknowledge, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I I moved late last year up to New Jersey where I live now mm-hmm. from Virginia, but I moved in with people that I know to a community that I kind of know, like. Mm-hmm. I have a group of friends up here that I basically moved in with and mm-hmm. I have started a relationship with one of them and it was not an unfounded, unguided kind of move, but yeah, to take that sort of situation and move it to a community where I don't know anybody, right, that kind right. of thing. Yeah. 100%. Like it's, mm-hmm. it'd be insane of me to think that I'm going to move out to the middle of nowhere and expect to just like make friends and turn all of these people to my kind of point of view. Yeah. The yeah. Answer. And I, I don't, I don't want to say that everyone who wants to move to a small town is doing it because of COVID anxiety. But what yeah. I am saying is like the difference between that, the line between like, I genuinely want this as a way of life and I'm traumatized by a million fucking people dying mm-hmm. is a race in our country. It's a race because we live in a country where you could be like, you know what? I got a little fucked up after a million people died and people are going to be like, oh, well, weirdo. (laughs) Like It's so fucking normalized now. It's like, yeah, well, what the fuck's wrong with you? Like, like if you said that in one day, they'd be like, well, yeah, that's the origin story for a prime time character in a primetime television show seeking revenge. Like, oh yeah, that's when he left society became, became Jack Reacher when a million fucking people died. Like it would be motivation with a universal adapter. Not two years in America. No. Like, what are you talking about? I got bills yeah. to pay. <laughs> so like, that's the thing. Like whatever that line is between like, I genuinely want this. And this is maybe like a trauma response. America does nothing but paint over it. That's all right. it cares to do 100% all the time. It doesn't exist. Ignore that shit. Um, and that's saying like, once you arrive at the new town, it won't ignore that line. That line will mean everything. <laughs> yeah. Like, so that's, that's what I think everyone has to take into account on yeah. their yeah, 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 decision-making yeah. matrix. Yeah. Right. Coin mean, doesn't get rid of trauma. Yeah. Right. The, yeah, yeah. The real solution here is we just need to set up a podcast commune somewhere on the outskirts <laughs> of a large city where we have access to services and blah, blah, blah. But like I, we just we just get three square blocks, buy all the houses. We all live. Hey, next man, each other. there was an yeah. abandoned elementary school in Wisconsin in- surrounded by a chain link fence that I looked at for easily a week on tree low. Yeah. Look, um, hey, yeah. We, we could do it. Look, look. There's, <laughs> there's that $35 million castle, uh-huh. I think in Michigan. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 There's probably a lot. Yeah, of we can the- definitely make that patrons new goals. Just, we buy can, us we can a castle. find an abandoned castle. McMansion <laughs> lot, you know, yes. and just squat in it and not tell anybody. I'm just, get I'm just yeah. saying, land in Wyoming is real cheap. We can uh-huh. all just become cowboy farmers. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So Maddie's going to love it. She's such a fan of snow already. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. going great. Uh-huh. Wyoming never has that. Nope. So uh, <laughs> it'll be a fun treat for us all. Yeah. yeah. We'll, uh, we'll dedicate a, a specific portion of the land to always be on fire. So mm-hmm. it'll simulate her home. Uh, <laughs> wow. And that'll be really nice. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> God damn. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, like I definitely get the view, but like like Cable was saying, I, I definitely think it's it's sort of that reaction to everything that else that has been going on. Yeah, it would probably be like wish fulfillment at this point. And yeah. not one hundred percent, yeah. Yeah. Um, um But I just felt, you know, it, more than anything, it was just like in the morning I just went out and I drank coffee and stood in the driveway and I thought, it's so quiet and I don't see mm-hmm. anyone. 
and I don't yeah. hear anything and what a gift that is. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I am fully willing to admit that I let some moments of serenity cloud all evidence of reality. Mm-hmm. But I will also admit I was sure looking for some moments of serenity to cloud all moments mm-hmm. of reality. So, no, it's nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there's a way humans were meant to live and almost none of us do it uh, evolutionarily. Yeah. So there, that's a real call to listen to, man. You don't feel yeah. bad about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I listen to it a little bit. I mean, I'm not going anywhere, obviously, but yeah. Okay, great. Um, hey, if you've been listening to this, thank you so much for checking out the Mix 6 podcast. Don't forget, we have a ton of additional content. If you're not yet a patron of the show, just go to patreon.com. Look for the Mix 6 podcast. You'll find us. You can subscribe at multiple levels, including opportunities to get access to early content, additional episodes, and access to our Discord server where we talk with hundreds of really wonderful people about all the stupid shit we say on the show. So check out patreon.com. Look for the Mix 6 podcast. You can also find us on all of your social media channels. Just look for the Mix 6 podcast. That's probably us. Noah, remind everybody one more time how they can find you. Hey, so you can find me personally at on Twitter. I'm at Kamen Otaku. That's K-A-M-E-N-O-T-A-K-U. You can find the show that I'm on, Thinking Too Hard About Anime, on anchor.fm slash T-T-H-A-A, or wherever you get your podcasts, such as this one. Um, and you can also find our Twitter account there at Thinking Anime. That's Thinking Anime on Twitter. Uh, so, yeah. Let us know what you think, what we're doing good, what we're doing bad. Uh, and, yeah, listen to the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, I'd like to sign off by saying thank you to everyone who left kind messages us on us for the discord. Yep. Um, that helped us get through rough times. Um, and I would also like to say that fuck all that sad shit because now we have to upgrade producer Ross to husband Ross. You are now officially husband Ross. Husband Uh, Ross. I I deem you husband Ross on Mm six. Congratulations, sir. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, We're all very proud of you. Ross gets, gets married tomorrow. And for those of you who have listened to the show for any amount of time, let alone for those of you who have listened to the whole of the show, Mm -hmm. Ross clearly wasn't paying attention because Caleb is the best man and I am the officiant, which means both of us have primary roles in this shindig tomorrow. (laughs) So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I can't wait to watch. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Mix Six podcast. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>